2nd Samuel chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be there and kind of moving forward through this Old Testament book and into even 1 uh, Kings a little bit. And if you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand. We'd be glad to hand you a Bible, and uh, you can do that or pull it up on your Bible app. Uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Thank you. Yeah, guys, that's your warning. Husbands, your Amazon deadline is approaching. I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, we just want to invite you to, and your family and friends to join us for Christmas at Two Rivers. Uh, as Micah said, next Sunday morning, we're going to have our regular services at 9 a.m. and 1030. And then we hope you'll join us uh, for that. And then that evening at 5 o'clock and 630 will be our Christmas Eve services, two different services. That second service in the evening, our Christmas Eve uh, night services will be for uh, families. Uh, we're all going to be here together in the same room. Uh, we're going to have coffee, hot chocolate, cookies. I think, are we having Sean Watts' famous cookies next Sunday evening? Okay, let's give her a hand for those. <clears throat> they're, uh, they're some of the most beautiful cookies, and they're only, they're only uh, the only thing better about the way they look is the way they taste. They're that much better and when you eat them. So uh, they're almost too good, to, too pretty to eat, but... Let me just assure you, go ahead and eat them. Uh, so that's next week. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Um, we do have some invite cards for you out in the foyer on the welcome table. want you to take those and give them to your friends and remind yourself and also neighbors. Uh, here's an idea. Something I try to do every year is uh, take a picture of those cards. Just put it somewhere or do it more creative than I did and uh, send that out on your social media. Social, that's hard to say, social media, uh, and you can invite your friends uh, who uh, maybe you don't get to see and hand them to them. And then the week after that is December 31st, and that's New Year's Eve. Again, we'll have our normal Sunday morning services at 9 and 1030. Um, We're just really thankful to be able to celebrate with you and your families Christmas this year at Two Rivers. We hope that you will make plans to be here. Christmas has always been kind of a special time for, I, I think, for most churches and families, but especially here at Two Rivers. Um, our story, we started just after the first of the year in 2009. Uh, we had a grand opening of, like, Valentine's Day weekend, and we met over on the campus of Craven Community College in Oringer Auditorium for those first about 10 months, and we were hoping to meet there for a couple of years, but uh, Craven Community College said, well, that's not a good idea, so we um, made arrangements to meet somewhere else, and we made a deal with the Epiphany School. Now, this is before they built the bigger upper or high school, uh, middle school and high school campus on Trent Road. Um, we met in their, what's now the lower school, but it was the whole school during that time on, it's the old Temple, have you been here for a while? It's the old Temple Baptist building on Henderson Road, I think it is. And our first service in that building was Christmas Eve 2009. So we weren't quite a year old as a church, and we moved over there for the first time and set everything up. We didn't have a big crowd, but we made it snow inside, which was kind of neat. Um, we met there for about three years. We celebrated four Christmas uh, seasons in that building. So that place has kind of a special place in our hearts. And we had a lot of our very first children's programs on that stage there. It was kind of a, it's a pretty auditorium, a pretty sanctuary. Um, one year our theme was Christmas means love. And I still have some pictures and those come up on my memory sometimes. One of my favorite Christmas sets we've ever done. And then in 2014, we bought this property and moved in um, kind of in April, May. And we celebrated 2014 Christmas here. And I don't know if you remember, if you were around then, but this building was kind of a mess when we bought it. It was, 
It was not pretty. Uh, there were some people who um, were unsure about my leadership uh, during that time because it was just, it was, it needed a lot of rehab. It was kind of a mess. To say it was in uh, distressed would be an understatement. Matter of fact, we chose the theme restore for our campaign that raised money for us to get in this building and do the restoration that was much needed on the property. And to think now that we've basically outgrown this space and are looking to build uh, sometime in 24 um, and maybe hopefully get into a new building uh, late next year or early in 25, uh, it's just crazy what God has done. And we've had a lot of Christmases and a lot of things here. Um, but I can remember that restoration of this building, the work that we had to do to rehab this old place. I mean, it was uh, had been abandoned for a little while. There was some vandalism in here. There were things that had to be torn out. A lot of things had to be refixed. And uh, I remember showing up here just about every day to check on the progress. And that's a bad idea. Like, progress is really slow when you show up every day. And uh, it was just, I was like, is this ever going to be fully you know, usable? Is this going to be restored to the place that we could actually use this? I wasn't sure it would ever be finished. But it's a great reminder of this fact. Adversity is the path to restoration, right? You don't, you don't get through and get something that it has been completely restored without going through a few things, without having a few hiccups, a few bumps, a few messes along the way. So that's a perfect lead into where we want to go today. Last few weeks, we've been working our way through some of the people in the family tree of Jesus, specifically some of the women who were mentioned. Uh, many of the people mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus are what I would call unlikely characters. You know, they're not kings, and uh, there are a few kings, but they're, they're not, they're not um, people who stand out in any way other than God worked through their lives. They were people who said yes to God's plan, and eventually they're mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, but they're very, they're very kind of understated and unlikely, especially the women. I think a couple weeks ago I said there were Three women named in Jesus' family tree. I actually missed one. Tamar was the wife of Judah, um, way back, the mother of Perez and Zerah. I know you remember them. And we talked about uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was mentioned by name in Matthew chapter 1. She was a Moabite woman. She was not a Jewish person. She wasn't from Israel. So that's interesting that she followed Naomi back to Judah, married a man named Boaz, and became a part of Jesus' uh, family tree. Last week, we talked about Rahab. What an unlikely character she was. Prostitute from Jericho. An enemy, right? Again, not from Israel. Helped the spies as Joshua and Israel prepared to take the city of Jericho. She's actually named in the Hebrews 11, what I call the Faith Hall of Fame, uh, as someone who lived her life by faith. It says in verse 31, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed, and those with those who were disobedient. So this woman of Jericho, who had only heard of God, the God of Israel, put her faith into action, and she saved herself and her family, and eventually she becomes part of the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah. So many people who said yes to God's plan in their lives, who ended up playing a pivotal role in what we celebrate, which is Christmas, the birth of Jesus. There's one more woman who is not named but inferred, uh, basically named, in the genealogy of Jesus. Her name is Bathsheba. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6 says, And Jesse, the father of King David, as, as Matthew uh, gives this line of 
people who were in the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Abraham says, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It's an interesting way Matthew refers to Bathsheba. It was almost as if she were kind of a footnote. Or maybe this is just God's way of honoring her husband, Uriah, right, who was certainly um, got the short straw in this, uh, in this thing, lost his life because of David's sin. This morning, I want us to see if we can learn something from the life of Bathsheba. In many ways, she is, again, an unlikely character found in Jesus' family tree. Um, but I think that you're going to see in her story, it teaches us the same thing, that adversity is the path to restoration. A few months ago, we looked at the story of David and Bathsheba. We spent the fall kind of working through the life of David and many of the stories, which includes this epic story of failure on David's part as he looked to um, his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, right? I want to go back and pick up a few details. And we basically told David's story. I want to pick up a few details of Bathsheba's perspective. If you remember, David became king of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he sends the army off to war. He stays back sends the army off to war under the leadership of a guy named Joab. And during this time, he's out on the balcony of his palace and sees a beautiful woman bathing and sends for her and they sleep together. It's a little unclear whether she was a willing participant. Certainly David's power and position would make it hard for her to say no. So I sort of think this is mostly on David. But the result is that she becomes pregnant. And to cover up what he has done, David sends for Bathsheba's husband, who's off fighting his war, right, he hopes that maybe bringing Uriah home, uh, he will then sleep with his own wife, go home and sleep with her, and um, they will have a child. And then that child that was David's could be assigned to Uriah twice. David encourages Uriah to go home. He won't do it. Why? Because he's honorable. He's like, how can, I, how can I go home and be with my wife when uh, the, the king's army is out sleeping in the fields? And he wouldn't do it. So David sends word to Joab to have Uriah in the front of the battle, leave him exposed so that he will be killed. It's basically murder. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26, we read this. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, so when Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after that time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It so displeased God that he sends a prophet named Nathan to see David. And he tells him this story about two people who have a rich man and a poor man. Both have, um, one, the, the poor man has a sheep, like it's like a member of the family. Have you ever been to somebody's house and they have a sheep or a, a goat or something? It's like part of the family or maybe some of you have pets that are part of the family. Um, it'd be kind of like this one, this Poor guy has this one sheep, and, and it's sort of part of his family. And then there's this other rich guy who has tons of, tons of wealth and all of these herds and flocks. And this rich man has a friend come into town, and um, he calls for the poor man's sheep and has it slaughtered and prepares a meal. And Nathan tells David this story. It's a parable. David doesn't know that. David's so indignant. He's furious. He says to Nathan that the rich man should pay back four times what he's taken from the poor man. And in one of the classic one lines in all the Bible, Nathan looks at the king, David, and says, you are that man. 
And immediately, David is repentant. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 and following says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me. And he took the wife of Uriah, and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. See, side note, God knows even when no one else does. God knows even when we think no one else knows. Our mistakes, our transgressions, our messes are not unknown to God. Keep reading. Verse 11. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I would take your wives and give them to one who... Um, to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. If David has a redeeming quality, remember, he, he was a man that the Bible continually says that God looks at him and says he's a man after God's own heart. If he has a redeeming quality, it's when confronted with his own brokenness, with his own messes, he admits them, and he's regretful. He repents. It's a great quality to have. This might be the only quality of David you might want to emulate, but he had a, he had a couple other ones, but that's, that's the best. He owns his own mess. He doesn't make excuses, try to talk or bargain his way out of it. He just owns it. He repents. Then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Even though David has been forgiven, he still must face the consequences of his sin. Now, I'll have to be honest. I struggle with this one. It's, it's a hard one. I'm not sure why exactly. I'm not questioning God. I'm just, it's just in my humanness, I struggle with why the son, the child, had to die for David's sin. Here's some things that I think I know from Scripture. God had made promises to David that had not been fulfilled. So he was going to be faithful to what he had told David, even though he had made a mess of things. And it's not that David wouldn't be unpunished. If you read the rest of David's story, um, th there's a lot of chaotic things that happen in David's life, calamity, embarrassment. Uh, one of his sons does exactly what Nathan said, which is sleeps with his, um, some of his wives. Back, back then, kings and people had more wives. That's a whole other story. That the sword would not leave his household. Matter of fact, that would be the reason because of all of this and because of the sword and, and death, he would not be allowed, God would not allow him to build the temple later. And then the death of that child did affect David. That was a punishment of sorts. And maybe God knew that this would be better for the child. Literally, if you read through uh, some of what happens with David's children, um, God taking that child and it being with God is better than living in some ways. But it's still, it's, still, it's still tricky. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with this one. So the child dies, and both David and Bathsheba mourn the loss. Look at verse 24. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her, and he made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. 
So God blesses David and Bathsheba and allows them to have another child, one that you maybe have heard of, a man, a later king named Solomon. And God sends word to David to name the child Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. And Solomon grows up to become the next king of Israel. So Bathsheba's story, think about the things she's been through, is a great example of perseverance and restoration. Eventually that child, not only does she have another child, but she has a child that becomes king. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for those restoration shows on HGTV. I'm a little apprehensive to admit that here publicly, but, you know, like Property Brothers, you know what I'm talking about, or Fixer Upper. You ever seen either of these shows? They, they look for houses that can be bought for a discount because their condition is bad, and they renovate, they restore the houses uh, to near or, or better than new, right, near perfection. It's amazing what you can do in an old house or building when you got tons of money, right? And... Uh, but I've noticed also that in these shows, uh, there's, there's a point about halfway through the show where there's always some big problem that was unforeseen, that's going to cost more money, and they're going to have to make some choices, right? The, they have some, something that has to be dealt with uh, and some kind of a compromise to the budget or the scope of the work that's going to have to be done. There's some sort of trade-off. I, I honestly think they kind of manufacture these things. They know ahead of time, like, let's make some drama in the middle, you know. Uh, let's get through one commercial break, bring people back again. But... Somehow, the project always gets done on time and pretty much on budget. And I think they understand this, that there needs to be a little bit of that. The producers understand the ratings, right? And they know that they can keep our attention if they give us a little bit of adversity in the midst of this restoration. Because adversity is the path to restoration. It's innate. We understand that, right? If you're going to renovate something, it's going to take effort. Something is bound to happen that will make things difficult. Have you ever watched a YouTube video to help you fix something? You know that things don't always go as planned. It never goes like the guy on YouTube does. It's like he just fixes it and goes on down the road. I'm like, what are you talking about rewinding 45 times trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong? <laughs> it looks easy on YouTube, but in reality, restoration, fixing things is hard. Let me give you a couple of things I see in Bathsheba's story that maybe will help you as we think about this idea of restoration. Sometimes we create the mess, and sometimes the mess happens to us. That's just life, right? Most of us are David in the story. We create our own messes. David's sin had a tremendous effect on the people around him. He was tremendously flawed, yet the Bible says throughout his story that he was a man after God's own heart. But some of us are more like Bathsheba. She sort of got caught up in David's mess, didn't she? But I want you to hear this. In either case, God can bring restoration. Right? There is hope and healing and restoration for either circumstance. Think of the joy that both David and Bathsheba must have experienced when Solomon was born. After going through all of this, David's sin, the cover-up, Nathan's rebuke, a new child, or this child dies and then a new child is born. It says she gave birth to a son. They named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Because the Lord loved him, he sent word through, the Nathan, through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. 
See, there is restoration for those who continue to be faithful. Bathsheba got caught up in David's brokenness and his mess. She lost her husband, Uriah. She must have been ashamed by her circumstances. She lost a child, but eventually God restored her. And she's named in the genealogy of the Messiah. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother, Bathsheba, had been Uriah's wife. You see, Bathsheba is a part of God's beautiful plan. Through her child, Solomon, the Messiah, would be born. I've also learned that the best way to watch HGTV is to record the shows and watch them later. There's a couple reasons. One, you can skip the commercials. And second, you can skip the mess if you do that. Like, my favorite thing to do is watch the very beginning of the shows where they look at different houses, and then they come up with a plan. And once I see the plan, you know what I do? I skip all the stuff in the middle. I just go to the very end when it's beautiful and perfect, right? I really don't care about the messy part, honestly. I, it doesn't intrigue me, the unavoidable issues and the adversity that happens in the middle. I just like the pretty ending, truthfully. And I'm afraid that that's what most of us want when it comes to our Christian lives. We get messed up by our own doing or maybe someone else's mess, and we just want to skip to the end for the pretty part. That's not how it works. Adversity is the path that leads to restoration. Restoration is a struggle, but there's also a blessing in the adversity. There's growth. There's closeness with God. There is redemption that comes in that adversity. Second thing I hope we can learn is this. Restoration happens when we keep moving forward, when we don't give up. Don't you think Bathsheba could have given up? She got, she got caught up in a huge mess, but she keeps moving forward, and ultimately she is restored. And at the end of David, David's life, Bathsheba goes to David and reminds him of the promise he had made to her that Solomon would be king. Throughout David's life, throughout his reign as king of Israel, there was turmoil. God's prophet, prophecy through Nathan is true. There was just a mess. It was, it was a debacle. His children were a mess. There was always trying to, someone trying to take his throne. Amnon was a terrible mess. Uh, Absalom uh, became popular and uh, wanted David's throne. Adonijah, at the end of his life, stepped up and acted like he was king. He had support of many and support of Joab and the army. So Nathan, this time, goes to Bathsheba and reminds her and tells her what to do. So she goes before David in his old age and reminds him that Solomon was to be king. And so David remembers his promise and makes Solomon king. Here's the subtle part. God's prophet Nathan is the one who initiates this with Bathsheba. In other words, God had not forgotten his promise to Bathsheba that her son Solomon would be king. I love the blessing David speaks to Solomon. I feel like this should probably be spoken over every young man when he uh, leaves home or gets married or goes off to college or starts out in life. David says in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. 
So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Bathsheba never gave up. She kept moving forward. Solomon received the blessing, and in doing so, Bathsheba found a sense of restoration. Speaking of going off and getting married, the week before Bonnie and I were married, I bought the most beautiful 1978 Toyota FJ40 Land Cruiser. I took it to our wedding. There it is. I mean, isn't that thing pretty? I needed a little restoration, right? I drove it to our wedding. Bonnie wouldn't even get in it. Um, she, she had her dad bring their car around, and so my brother-in-law decorated it for me. Isn't that nice? There was a pimento cheese sandwich on the steering wheel when I got in it. It was my dream to restore it and make it awesome. The problem was I'm not a mechanic. Two, there was no YouTube back then, and I didn't have the time or the money to put into it. So it sat in our driveway for several years. Eventually, I sold it. It looked a lot like that right there without the pimento cheese sandwich, right, when I sold it. For restoration to happen, we have to keep moving forward. It's, that thing's not going to restore itself. We have to stay where God can work on us and move us forward in his plan. Finally, I want us to remember this. Jesus came to bring, to bring restoration for everyone. The restoration that happens throughout the Old Testament is, is subtle compared to what we can experience today. Think about all, all of these things we just talked about in Bathsheba's life. They weren't subtle to her, but compared to what can happen in our hearts and lives through the work of the Holy Spirit and God coming into our lives, it's, it pales in comparison. All of those things fell into place for people in the Old Testament like Bathsheba so that the Messiah could be born. And if it's true of Bathsheba, the promise of restoration is true for us as well. Because Jesus was born, we have the opportunity ourselves to be restored. Honestly, the story of Christmas is the story of hope. It is the story of restoration. It's not lost on me that Joseph, right, was a carpenter. He was in the business of restoration. The Old Testament gives us stories of how God worked through generations to bring restoration and eventually the Messiah. But once Jesus was born, restoration was no longer isolated to certain people for a time and place. It's available to everyone. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Next week, we're going to connect the dots. And I promise we're going to talk about a young carpenter named Joseph and his teenage fiance named Mary next Sunday. We hope that you'll come and celebrate the story of restoration and redemption that is the Christmas story. Let's pray. 
God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for how your word teaches us or how it moves in us. Lord, what a, what a crazy and tragic and hopeful and restorative story is the story of Bathsheba. Lord, that someone really by no fault of her own could wind up in, in such a saga But, Lord, you were faithful to her. And at the end of David's life, near the end of Bathsheba's life, she was restored through her son, Solomon. And, Lord, she has been elevated and included in your son's story, in the story of the Messiah, Jesus. So, God, I just thank you that when we're broken and in a mess when we're in need of restoration. Lord, you promise that you are the God of restoration, that you move in our hearts and our lives, and you bring hope and healing and restore your spirit to us. And Lord, that all happened because Jesus was born. So God, I thank you today. I just pray, Lord, that you would Allow each of us, no matter where we've been in our lives, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, Lord, help us to feel that hope, the hope that came into this world in the form of a baby being born in Bethlehem. Lord, I just pray that maybe this year we would find uh, that as our source of joy. Even when things are difficult. even when things seem to be a mess. Lord, even when our lives aren't where we thought they would be or something's happened to us, Lord, you bring joy because of Jesus. And help us to see that, not only in the Christmas story, but in our story this year for Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name.